So far in this epic franchise of episodes, you've met a librarian and novelist who flies spaceships and hunts monsters on the side, Steve Raza. Next, you encountered a secret agent man who hunts new talent and publishes fantastical Christian-made stories, Steve Lobby. For this series finale, you will meet one more Steve who shares amazing adventures of yesteryear in riveting recorded form. There will be more spaceships and dragons. You may even soar high above the jungles of Christian publishing on the back of a sky turtle. Yes, indeed, our third and final Steve, Steve Smith, president of Oasis Family Media, will arrive to share more about Oasis and beyond and what's next in this world. Join us for our thrilling conclusion to the Steve saga. Welcome anew to Fantastical Truth. This is the podcast from lorehaven.com in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory and apply their meaning to the real world Jesus calls us to serve. I'm Eastimer Burnett. I'm blessed to publish Lorehaven. I'm also the co-author of The Pop Culture Parent. And I'm Zachary Russell. And when I used to have a very long daily commute, audiobooks are probably what kept me sane. And this is episode 130. Will audiobooks form the future of Christian fantasy? We will have Steve Smith arrive shortly to talk about Oasis Family Media, and this is the conclusion to the Steve Saga, a trilogy of episodes within the Fantastical Truth podcast series. By the way, I do want to tease the possible arrival of a surprise fourth Steve in this very episode. You never know where he might be. He may be hiding somewhere in the shadows, possibly even in plain sight. Zach, before we get to Steve Smith's arrival, let's stop real quick by the concession stand as with Steve Lobby, our last guest on this series, Oasis Family Media is the cover sponsor for this podcast. Coincidence? Mm, not really, but either way, we would have wanted to talk to both of these particular Steves because of their position in Christian publishing and their love for fantastical stories for God's glory. That's just something that overlaps with our mission. And so regardless of whether they're sponsoring this episode, they're definitely folks we'd want to talk to now and in the future, Lord willing. Also, in this episode, like with the one with Steve Lobby, who also happens to be an agent and somebody who takes pitches from authors at writers' conferences, this is not an industry-type episode. We are not a writing hobbyist or professional development podcast. We are a Christian fantasy fan podcast. So with Steve Smith, we're focusing on the -the behind-the-scenes info, like where do these audiobooks come from? How do you put together a business to share these stories with libraries and listeners? How do you find narrators? You know, what's up with the pronunciation guide? Uh, How long does it take to record any of those books in the studio? We'll get into some of that, but not to help someone break into the biz. It's just so we know how the magic happens. It's always fun to find that out, whether you're listening to a podcast or watching the behind the scenes documentary on a DVD for the Lord of the Rings or something like that. Before Steve arrives, let's go to our title sponsor for this episode. As mentioned, it is Oasis Family Media itself. They're also the owners of Enclave Publishing. But this time we're focusing on the Oasis Audio as publishers of the George McDonald Collection. That is narrated by Rebecca K. Reynolds, and it features the classic McDonald books Lilith, Fantasties, and coming soon, George McDonald's classic At the Back of the North Wind. Also available from Oasis Audio is George McDonald, Scotland's beloved storyteller. That's a biography by Michael R. Phillips. These and other great titles by Oasis are available wherever audiobooks can be purchased or streamed. You can get all those links in our show notes for this episode 130 or go to our main link for sponsors, lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors to see the Amazon link, the Audible links, 
and a bunch of others for the Oasis audio titles featuring George McDonald. You know what I love about the Oasis audiobook, Stephen, is that they still produce audio CDs for their titles. You know, a few years back, I would have thought, well, why are we still using CDs? They're so annoying that uh, you can't only fit about an hour or so per CD. So you got to have a whole bunch of CDs. Like, well, aren't apps a lot better? But I really like now having physical things to keep. For one thing, it makes it a lot easier for playing it in the car uh, because then we don't have to worry about, you know, whose phone is this story on. For another thing, it's just great to have sort of an archive, like a hard copy that's never going to be deleted if the cloud, you know, goes offline or uh, you get deplatformed, whatever big tech wants to do today to make things interesting. Uh, So I love that Oasis is still creating those. Uh, And then, you know, there's many programs where you can take a CD and turn it into an audiobook and put it on your phone, uh, which I've I've done a couple of times. But uh, I love all the variety of options they use. And, you know, one thing I'm curious to talk about today is what is the actual verb you use for consuming an audiobook? Are are you listening to a book? Are you reading a book? Are you picturing a book? You You know, it's kind of an interesting experience. I mean, storytelling was always verbal or oral, you know, all throughout centuries. And it's, then we got the printing press and now we're going back to audio stories, but I still kind of don't always know, like, what do you say? Like I read the audiobook, I listened to it. I'm sure we'll get an answer to that today from Steve Smith. He's obviously an expert on this. That's right. I suspect that'll come up in our conversation with Steve Smith, who I think is arriving right now from the shadows. Uh, let's welcome him into our studio. Stephen D. or Steve Smith is the president of Oasis Family Media, publishers of Oasis Audiobooks, Enclave Publishing, and Sky Turtle Press. He was the producer-director of the 2018 multi-award-nominated audiobook biography of Mr. Rogers, The Good Neighbor, narrated by LeVar Burton, and the 2020 Christian Book Award-winning producer of the best audiobook, Chasing Vines by Beth Moore. He is, just this past summer, a 2022 recipient of the coveted Eisner Award for his translation of the Obscure City's graphic novel Shadow of a Man. He has worked in and around the Christian publishing industry since 1984. He's a lifelong reader of fantasy and science fiction, and he cites Jules Verne, Edgar Rice Burroughs, J.R.R. Tolkien, L. Frank Baum, and C.S. Lewis as key influencers in his life. And he has just emerged into the studio from an ancient gateway in the shadowy corner of the museum. Steve, welcome to the Steve Saga. Well, thank you, Stephen, for having me as part of your Steve Saga. I am grateful and um, I'm happy to be here. Welcome, Steve. Uh, And I just got to mention that it's pretty cool that you are a Stephen D joining our E Stephen. It's kind of like the uh, Star Trek Enterprise D or E versions here we got. So, Welcome to the show. Just to kick us off here, how did you first discover biblical truth in fantastical fiction? That is, when did you accept Aslan as your personal lion and savior? (laughs) The only acceptable answer to this question. (laughs) I grew up in a Lutheran church. I went to a Lutheran day school. And if you know anything about Lutherans, and if there's other Lutherans listening, very little emphasis is ever placed in in the Lutheran church on a personal relationship with Jesus. But it doesn't mean that you aren't aware of it. I had a very unusual childhood. For someone my age, I grew up in a in a, a home with a single mother. My father had left us very early in my life. My mother, however, was a an educated type A personality who 
in the 1960s when women were relegated to very low paying jobs was aggressively climbing a corporate ladder. So I was on my own from a very early age. My abandonment, and that's a really harsh term because my mother was the best mom she could be, but I, I was alone so much. I think sad, maybe introverted. Media was my savior at the time, uh, stories. So I think that I understood from school who Jesus was, but it was the stories that I discovered and, and through other stories, through Vern, through Burroughs at a young age, kind of like Lewis. And, and if I can read a, a quote from Lewis from Surprised by Joy, he said, I was driven to Whipsnade Zoo one sunny morning. When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. Yet I had not exactly spent the journey in thought, nor in great emotion. Emotional is perhaps the last word we can apply to some of the most important events in our lives. It was more like when a man, after a long sleep, still lying motionless in bed, becomes aware that he is now awake. I would like to think that my faith was something like understanding rain before understanding the generosity of God giving us rain. At times, formal religion did not help me at all. In fact, it, it pushed me away. My day school, the pastor pointed out that I was the one kid in school who had a divorced mother. Um, and I mean, as a, as wow. a young so you child- you were singled out. Yeah. I was singled out. And, oh, wow. um, but my faith emerged from that time of pain I think it was because I began to connect the common grace of story to the generosity of God. So I can't give you a, it happened on May 12th, 1971, but I knew Jesus loved me long before I understood much about him. Steve, I think that's really important to hear because when we ask that question, yeah, yeah I think you're right. Uh, we are not asking for a day and a date. You know, when did you, uh, you know, kneel down in front of the church? Because you know, although a lot of people have those kinds of stories, for Lewis and others, uh, there's a much more gradual process where you're just slowly coming to realize. Uh, and then I command that from uh, a tradition that emphasizes uh, the sovereign grace of God in saving people. You know, with God as the initiator of that process. I think one way or another, Christians do agree that you can be saved even if you don't know exactly when you know you passed from death to life, when you underwent that uh, spiritual regeneration process. So that's important, I think, to remember when we're asking that question. And then when we ask, yeah, when did you accept Aslan as your personal line and savior? We're just having a little fun with the fact that so many people who respond to this discussion uh, cite Narnia as uninfluenced uh, as part of their story. But sometimes it's also, you know, a science fiction story, you know, or, a, you know, a pulp comic book from the 1940s. You just never know what kinds of stories uh, recorded or print or with or without illustrations that God will use as that common grace part of bringing people to himself. Well, actually, if we're going to go that route, then you asked me the exact right question, because if you, I loved the Narnia Chronicles. But my senior year of high school, I had a bunch of elective time. So I took a drama class. We did The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as a, as a play that we went to some little local elementary schools to perform. Oh, and cool. I was Aslan. Oh, fun. 
And it was reading the script of this simplified story when it occurred to me, oh my gosh, Aslan's Jesus. This there is allegory. Go. Yeah. Lewis famously described uh, the Narnia series as a, as a supposal. What would happen if Christ was active in a world like Narnia, you know, ju just like, uh, you know, in the form of a lion, uh, just like he is active here. You know, what if Jesus uh, was active across the multiverse? And if there is a multiverse, uh, we can only imagine uh, exactly how he would be active in that way. Uh, Steve, he's also recently been active in your life. For those who have wondered about this, a few weeks ago, we had a prayer request uh, that I got to share because uh, you had a bit of a, a health issue there, Steve, and we're really glad uh, that you are recovering from that and able to join us in the studio. I am grateful for your listeners and for the Christian community at large who found out about what I was going through. And when I was sitting in the hospital bed, I actually did pray to God that um, I, I knew it wasn't my time. I have so many things I still have to finish. And sadly, for a lot of people, their books or um, wanting to see the next Star Wars trilogy, things like that. But I am grateful for all the prayer because I believe that prayer saved my life. I was touched by my new Enclave family in particular, and, and Stephen, with you and your listeners, and Zach, that you were involved as well. I'm grateful. And I am healthy. I'm back in the office. I'm back to exercising and, and uh, back to normal. That's great. Steve, uh, off the air, we were talking about, you were talking about swimming, and that used to be uh, a part of my life well before uh, this phase of life that I'm in now as, as a dad. But I, I used to love swimming, and it's uh, su such a great way to exercise. And I, I hope, you know, we will get to swim in the, the new heavens and the new earth. There, there's one line Revelation, I don't always know what to think about. It says that there will be no more sea. I'm like, please let there be swimming pools because I want to swim in uh, in my resurrected body. I think that'll be the best thing ever because swimming is very punishing and it makes you very tired if you get out of practice for a while. And uh, hopefully it'll be a lot easier then. Yeah, that verse in Revelation has always really bothered me because I've told people this my whole life. When I'm in the ocean, when I walk into the ocean, I feel closest to God because the pressure around me, I feel like I'm being held in the hand of God. Mm. So hopefully there will not just be swimming pools, but maybe bays yeah. and, um, and um, inlets. Uh, you know, if oceans just have to go, you know, maybe we can at least have some really cool bodies of water with waves. Hey, Peter was able to walk on water for a little bit. Obviously Jesus did. Maybe that's going to happen too. And we'll have like, uh, maybe we'll get to race you know, race each other and have uh, marathons or something. We run on top of the ocean. Just thought Got of that. Like the flash. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I did youth ministry myself and I would talk to my uh, kids in confirmation class and just say, you know, we don't know what we're going to experience, but I really hope that I could see bands like the Ramones when I'm in heaven and have dinner or tea or something with Tolkien and Lewis, but whatever it's going to be, it's going to be fantastical, probably way more fantastical than anything any of us could ever create here. It is going to be like, God will just say, eh, I just did this this morning. Enjoy. 
I was listening to another show recently and he was talking about the need for utopian fiction because so much of what we read and, and see on TV is dystopian. And there, there's certainly some truth to that, that the Christians today especially feel like, and, and even a lot of Muslims I've talked to say the world feels like it's getting much, much worse very quickly. But I think it's also important to read utopian fiction to think about what are the new heavens and the new earth going to be like. But let's go backwards in time here a little bit to our, our first chapter. What's the origin story of Oasis Audio? And, and now I know it's, un, it's called Oasis Family Media, but how did that get started? Well, Oasis Audio, I, and I've got to tell you, uh, you, you could have like three or four podcasts about the history of Oasis. I've only been at Oasis for 13 years. Oasis Audio started as Chapel of the Air which was a radio ministry back, I believe, in the 1950s. And it was hosted by David and Karen Maines for years. And our building, in fact, our Studio 2, it used to be a radio station studio because David and Karen would be on opposite sides of tables uh, and they would do their show. And... um the shows would be recorded and then they would uh, finish the recording of a show maybe on a Monday. And then the tapes that they were recorded on, and this was reel to reel tape would be taken back into our assembly area and would be replicated. And by Wednesday they had to be mailed to all the radio stations that were syndicating the show um, around the country. Then they switched to cassettes then they switched to CDs, and eventually it became digital. But in the 19, uh, 1990s, the Oasis company separated, and the radio ministry shows went out to Seattle. Then just the CD replicating stayed in the Chicago suburbs. And so in 1996, um, an employee suggested they start doing audiobooks. And audiobooks were really in their infancy back then. Um, you know, you can find an audiobook on vinyl from the 60s of like Dr. Shivago. I think it's like 18 albums um, in a box. And, and so they didn't do a lot of those. So that's how Oasis really came into being. Focus on the family started in our building. And then they obviously moved to Colorado Springs. The Josh McDowell Ministries started in our building. The company has a, a history in Christian media. Have you ever heard of the ministry um, HCJB? It's the Voice of the Andes. It was like a missionary radio station started in the 1930s, mm -hmm. and they broadcast into Ecuador. Oh, okay. I met someone from this organization a long time ago, and he said that many Christians at the time believed that yeah, we shouldn't use radio because of the verse that talks about the prince the of the prince power, of, power the of the air. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was like the mainstream Christian view of, of the, I guess it was the thirties, whenever that started, mm -hmm. the two men that founded it were like, no, we, we really believe that God wants to use this technology for good. And this is the most efficient way we can get his word into the Andes mountains, like where it's very hard to travel, you know, radio can reach people that we just can't reach. It just always occurs to me whenever we talk about new technologies and new ways people are are spreading the message or portraying the message through stories. You know, there's always sort of that impulse of like, wait, are we allowed to do this? Like, is this okay? And so that's kind of what I want to ask you about with 
with Oasis, like what, what were some of those like, you know, maybe theological roadblocks or, or sort of pushback have you guys ever had to deal with? Something from uh, Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this book, but Yancey was a pastor uh, somewhere in the Northeast. And um, he talks in one of the chapters of his books about going to church one day, and his church was in a pretty bad neighborhood. And the prostitutes would hang out under the awning when it was raining. And he was coming into the church one day, and there was one woman out there. And he said, would you like to come in and just sit out of the rain? And she said, I already feel bad enough about myself. Why would I want to go into a church? And that stung him. And it stung me. But, you know, we didn't have picketers outside of the Oasis offices or anything. But we've diversified significantly since I started at Oasis. Yes, in fact, we heard uh, some about the uh, audiobooks uh, the, from Oasis in the in the sponsorship for this episode. Uh, you all have now books from the worlds of L. Frank Baum and Edgar Rice Burroughs, who are not necessarily known for being Christian authors. Uh, you all have these, you know, inspirational titles, and obviously the Enclave uh, publishing titles now uh, coming out more and more. Uh, but also these more general market uh, titles. So I'm I'm just very curious if there's a quick version of how you all are able to work with these estates and put out these audiobooks, as well as the many audiobooks I see that are adaptations of classics. Uh, I want to get the Dracula one, for example. I'm a bit on the Dracula train these days, uh, particularly with uh, October coming up again. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll probably be listening to the at least the Audible audiobook again. Uh, how sure. does this work for you all uh, getting involved with these uh, general market uh, franchises? Well, when the Christian market, uh, and I, I'm referring to the retail market, like the family Christian stores and the Lifeway stores, when that business started imploding, um, we became very nervous about what our future was. And the owner of Oasis just told me when I went to him and said, I want to diversify our brands. He said, can you keep it family friendly? Mm. And I said, absolutely. So I went after brands like the Boxcar Children audiobooks, uh, doing audiobooks of those. We have 160 boxcar children titles in audio. Nancy Drew Diaries, Hardy Boys Adventures, The Great Mouse Detective. I, I tried to take wholesome children's products and get them out there. My personal love for author biographies caused me to pursue biographies of people like George MacDonald or Lewis or Tolkien, but also of Jules Verne. For some reason, before I ever even started at Oasis, they had taken on a children's biography of Ernest Hemingway, which... How, how would that work exactly? I don't know. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I really don't. And, and I, I have to confess, I never listened. But we also had the biography of Pearl S. Buck, you know, who had written The Good Earth. You know, she had ministry in China, a family background when she was writing her books about China. So that fit a little better, but I wanted to do author biographies because I love biographies of authors. We've done two different L. Frank Baum biographies. I've been a huge lover of the L. Frank Baum Oz books and non-Oz books since I went away to college and my girlfriend at the time, who's now been my wife for 39 years, 
uh, bought me a set of Oz books because of the illustrations by an illustrator named John Arneal. I, I had no knowledge of the Oz stories. I assumed the Wizard of Oz movie with Judy Garland was what it was all about. Well, it was the only one, but yes. I was at uh, a state college and I just had so little in common with anyone else there that I retreated and read those books and I fell in love with Oz and with that fantasy because I'd already conquered Tolkien and Lewis and Vern and Burroughs in my younger years. And so Baum became, uh, became sort of my next progression. And um, I don't know what his faith was. I know that he was involved in some mystical societies. Burroughs was very uh, Christian friendly because he mentions it in several of his books about Christian faith. And in one book in particular that was republished as um, The Lost Continent, but originally called Beyond 30, which was uh, a navigational line um, about a future where Britain has become primitive again after a great war and uh, conquering um, armies from Africa have taken over and you know, raid Britain for slaves. And um, this pilot from an American Air Force in America at the time had become a secluded walled off country. They uh, traveling beyond 30, as far as the latitudinal line was forbidden. And he took his ship and, and kept going, um, is captured. And he's having a conversation with the warlord who captured him. And um, he says, are you a Christian? And he said, yes, I am. And um, so they have a conversation about that. And I know that Burroughs had a lot of, of stories where there were spiritual influences like that brought up. I don't know that if he went to church or not, but I was looking for content to keep our company going. And I pursued the Burroughs estate for about three years before I could make a deal with them. Because I just feel that, you know, Ray Bradbury said that Edgar Rice Burroughs was probably the greatest author of American 20th century. I would tend to say Ray Bradbury it comes closer. But also Franklin Delano Roosevelt attributed our success in World War II to Edgar Rice Burroughs because of our young soldiers growing up with heroism uh, between Tarzan and John Carter, and you look at the space program, and so many astronauts and and early rocketeer uh, scientists at NASA attributed their wanting to go to space to Carson of Venus and John Carter of Mars. And I just felt this was an important author who I wanted to acquire. I'm so glad you did, because without Burroughs, uh, we would not have probably any of the comic book industry. Therefore, we would not have superhero movie universes, but also a large chunk of science fiction would be missing or would have developed very differently. Uh, you wouldn't have the space program. You wouldn't have Star Trek. You certainly wouldn't have Star Wars. Uh, in fact, that was a major reason why the uh, the 2012, I think it was, uh, film version called John Carter uh, bombed uh, because the marketing didn't do very well uh, showing that this was the original science fiction story with a lot of the tropes uh, that later got passed on to Flash Gordon and then later on got passed on to Star Wars. Uh, it's uh, the ancestor of all of these different kinds of stories. And as a science fiction fan, uh, I respect it and appreciate it for that reason. 
Absolutely. And, and I would recommend, highly recommend, if you want to know uh, about the dark underbelly of Hollywood, there is a book called John Carter and the Gods of Hollywood that talks about clearly about how that film was sabotaged from within Disney to not succeed. Um, I don't know how you felt about the movie itself. I liked it, but I, I didn't hate it. it. I liked it. Well, yeah. Uh, And um, so many people did. And I I look at, at that and, you know, Alex Raymond in, in the 1930s was flash Gordon comic strip was competing with Tarzan. And yet Alex Raymond never had an issue saying if it weren't for Burroughs, Flash Gordon would not have been created. No, you're right. If if it weren't for Burroughs, science fiction would have gone the route of um, Aldous Huxley, you know, Brave New World. It would have gone uh, far more Isaac Asimov than Robert Heinlein. It, it, space opera would not have existed. And, and so thus, Star Wars, it just we wouldn't have had it. Yeah. And and you're right. It would have reshaped or it would have not allowed science fiction to shape itself the way it did if it weren't for him. Let's take a break for our second sponsor for this episode. Once again, the middle grade fantasy, an unexpected adventure by Candy J. Wyatt. Here is the description. Harley Mager has seen E.T. and knows what the government will do to mythical creatures. There's no way he's about to let his newfound friend fall into the hands of an NSA agent. When the dragon starts setting fires and eating livestock, the choice may be taken from him. Steria is only interested in filling her tummy and spending time with Harley and his friends. After all, they're the ones who woke her and called her from her egg. When the agent tries to capture her, she's confined to the farm where she's safe but without sufficient food. She'll do anything to protect herself and Harley, even if it means she'll go hungry. An Unexpected Adventure is the fun first book in the middle grade fantasy Myth Coast Adventures trilogy. If you like clean entertainment full of adventure and mischief, then you'll love Candy J. Wyatt's unique trilogy. You can get the main link in our show notes for this episode, 130, or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors for that complete description and all of the links for An Unexpected Adventure. It's always neat to look back at these classic stories, and while we can't, like you said, we can't always know what the faith was of these authors, you can still see, you know, God's providence working through them. You mentioned L. Frank Baum. I, I wish my sister could be on this podcast because she is a major Wizard of Oz super fan, and she has probably every book that's ever been made uh, about not not just the original Wizard of Oz, but all the follow-on stories, like you oh, mentioned. Oh, sure. But there's this one, uh, this funny little graphic I ran across a couple of years ago. It's um, this graphic of Second Timothy one seven, and it's got like the silhouettes of the lion the tin man and the scarecrow. And it says for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. It, it's kind of clever. And it's like, well, okay. Did, did L Frank Baum actually design the whole wizard of Oz story around this verse and not the spirit of fear, like the cowardly lion, but the a sound mind, like the, unlike the scarecrow and of love, unlike the tin man that didn't have a heart. I don't think so. I, I don't think he really, I mean, I have no idea, but I, I kind of doubt it, but what I like about this graphic is that we can see sometimes that biblical truth works its way through stories, maybe despite what the author wanted, or maybe it was just playing in the background of their mind and they didn't know because a hundred years ago, our society had much a higher biblical literacy, I would say, uh, among most people. And that was 
again, kind of the background music of a lot of authors. And so I, I always think it's interesting to look, like you said, at these, at the dominant sci-fi stories that kind of swept through uh, mid-century, uh, 20th century, it really did have this theme of heroism that led to probably us winning the, the Cold War and everything and the, the space race. You know, that's because the, the Christian faith is a heroic faith. It is the hero's journey, not of us necessarily, but of God, of, of God being the hero, of Jesus being the conqueror, really. Like you said, so much other sci-fi that had this very negative, uh, very humanistic approach didn't resonate because this was all going on in, in a society that is predominantly Christian. And so I think just the by nature of the society that these stories were made in, certain stories and themes are going to resonate more and then sort of set the stage for a lot of other stories. And so that that's what we love to explore on this podcast is how God is at work in these stories, sometimes without even us realizing what's going on because he works all things together for good. Well, speaking of these uh, diverse offerings that Oasis Audio is uh, is sharing now with the world, Steve, uh, you've mentioned the Burroughs universes, the L. Frank Baum and biographies thereof. Uh, the boxcar children and all these uh, you know, more wholesome stories. I, I love that, that we've got kind of these, uh, you mentioned the phrase earlier, common grace stories that Christians can appreciate. Because although not every author is a Christian, every author is created in God's image. And therefore, even if they're not a Christian, they can reflect his creativity in the works that they make. Uh, and it's even better for Christians, especially if you're looking, book, uh, looking for books or audiobooks for your kids, uh, if those stories are wholesome in some way, you know, not necessarily clean, but, you know, more wholesome. They're stories of heroism and virtue applied in real life, even with a lot of the challenges that result there. At the same time, more recently, uh, just this past year, actually, I mean, this whole arrangement is barely a year old right now. You, Steve, seem to have met uh, whom I would call uh, your variant, uh, Steve Lobby, uh, the version of you from across the multiverse, or maybe your version of him. And I'm not sure. There's some similarities there that Steve even mentioned in his episode last week. Uh, you all uh, got to partner now uh, with the audiobooks originally for Enclave Publishing. Right. Uh, and then just uh, earlier this year, Oasis Family Media bought Enclave Publishing. And we'll talk in a little bit about directions where that may lead. I'm just curious in, if you could sum up uh, the, the origin story of this partnership and, and how it came to be that uh, you all saw a resonance with Enclave Publishing, which is more you know, uh, clearly Christian, at least the authors are Christian. And as Steve Lobby says, uh, the books are made according to a coherent Christian worldview. You, you two are very young kids. I'm, I'm elderly. So I'm going to say this, but back in the 1970s, there were two musicians, uh, Dan Fogelberg and Tim Weisberg, who uh, did an album together called Twin Sons of Different Mothers. And I would almost say that that is that would define Steve Lobby and myself. I had a meeting at University of Missouri in Columbus, Missouri, a year ago, uh, the same week that um, Realm Makers was being held. So I decided I would go to the hotel for one night as Realm Makers was not quite yet started and try to meet with Steve and talk about audiobooks. I had already approached him about licensing. We've already, we actually already had licensed some audiobooks from him, but that's when I met Scott from Realm Makers and he took me around and showed me the, as the event was being set up. Steve then came up to Chicago a week later to visit his daughter. 
and came into the offices. And, you know, we had learned quickly uh, through quick conversation that we both cut our teeth on Jules Verne at, at a very early age, eight years old, and Burroughs. Both of us were huge fans of both Verne and Burroughs. And, and so there was this crazy connection that just, it, it, you couldn't deny it. So I said, well, I think what we should do is, is do an exclusive for all the audio titles for Enclave um, through Oasis. Because, you know, you'd mentioned, you know, that Enclave is clearly Christian. Quite frankly, Oasis has always been clearly Christian. If anyone's deviated away from that, it's me and it's my fault. But Oasis <laughs> as a company was always a Christian company. As Steve and I were preparing this exclusive audiobook arrangement, he called me one day and he said, crazy idea. Why don't you guys buy my company? And I thought, you know, we're understaffed because people come and go and, and all. And I thought, eh, I don't see how we could possibly make it happen. But the company had recently been turned over from the original uh, or from the owner who I started working for. Um, not the original owner from way back, but the owner had turned the company over to his children and his son in particular, um, whose name is John Morris. I took this to John and I said, John, we have an opportunity here. I think you should at least look at and consider something about it felt right to him right away. And he has come, he's come from the financial industry. He's not a publishing guy, which is kind of funny because publishing and finance couldn't be two more far away business uh, models. Um, but nonetheless, he just felt, you know, we should look at this. And so I turned it over to him to start working on negotiating with Steve. And um, we signed papers on December 31st and owned the company as of January 1st. And what we've done with the titles is um, we have pushed them into bigger markets than they've ever been in before. Uh, pushed them into the library market, done more with retail presence than they'd ever had the ability to do. We've been able to get the books uh, a broader reach. And that has has benefited him. Steve, Steve still runs the company. Steve Lobby still runs Enclave. And I'm grateful. Um, he's still bringing in the talent. But this is not foreign to me. If we had been um, looking at Christian um, Amish fiction company, I would have probably said, ah, nah, let's, let's not buy a company like that because I have zero interest in that. While it's a highly successful genre or subgenre of Christian fiction, it's not my thing. Yeah, you need some zombies or spaceships or werewolves. Vampires or in the least. Amish. Absolutely. Yeah. I heard that there <laughs> are <laughs> Amish vampires. Um, in in the uh, in we the like realm. to keep it weird. Yep. Yeah that it, that was part of the Enclave uh, publishing past there when it was known as uh, March of Lord Press. So Steve, let's go then to chapter two of this discussion about the behind the scenes of Oasis Audio. Of course, we've already gone there just a little bit. I'm just curious about the philosophy and process of the core of the business here. Now, you guys obviously owning uh, Enclave Publishing, and we'll talk a little bit about the rest of your print offerings means you're expanding into the print universe, uh, having gone first to this uh, this audiobook emphasis. 
I'm just curious if you could overview real quick uh, for our listeners, like why audiobooks are so popular right now. And frankly, speaking for myself, I can answer that for myself that they are popular because you can read more, read slash listen. I don't know what verb we use there. You can read more while you're doing stuff. And I think that at least for me uh, as a as a man, as, as somebody who's working, uh, you know, anybody who wants to read more books, you can do that while not sitting there and devoting exclusive time to looking at the words on a page with an audiobook. And at least that's how I've managed to get a whole lot more reading done. But is, is that a trend for people or are there other reasons that audiobooks have just exploded in popularity? I think they've exploded because people are commuters. That's a number one reason I think the, this market has exploded. It is reading um, as a verb. You are reading. When you're listening to an audiobook, you are reading a book. because Okay, we're going to take that from a professional now. Yes. Well, okay. I'll tell you this. That was determined by the American Library Association with a study okay. that was done in, in cooperation with the Audio Publishers Association. We did a study together a few years ago called Sound Learning uh, because teachers were so hesitant to let audiobooks into a classroom because they thought it would hinder a child's ability to learn to read. When in fact, what we did learn from the study is that the comprehension level of a child reading and listening at the same time uh, is increased by about 78%. Audiobooks allow us to absorb more than we ever would have before. Three years ago, because of my very short commute to work, I decided I'm going to tackle a classic every month for the next year. Books I'd never had a chance to listen to, like Wuthering Heights and Jane Eyre. I was able to read the full 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the full Mysterious Island, instead of abridged versions, uh, because I was able to do it in the car while driving. Um, I've listened to a number of Enclave titles, but, uh, but it was that year of listening to classics that to me solidified the benefit of audiobooks for a consumer market. I would never have the time because of reviewing so many manuscripts when we're acquiring titles through Oasis. I would never have the time to read the number of classics I was able to listen to. And because of that, I was also able to listen to George MacDonald. George MacDonald is in my opinion, the H.G. Wells of Christian writers who are just impossible to get past the first page of when you're reading it in a book. And yet to have a narrator read it to me, I'm able to overcome that first page. I literally used to keep a copy of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds in my nightstand because I knew if I could not fall asleep, I would start reading that book and in two pages, I'd be gone. And yet there's so much meat to be offered if you could just get past that. George MacDonald is a perfect example of someone who to listen to is just exciting to have someone else read it. I'm in love with George MacDonald now. And, and clearly Tolkien and Lewis revered him as their mentor. All the Oxford Inklings, uh, Chesterton, Lewis, uh, Dorothy Sayers, you know, Owen Barfield, um, all those guys, all of them considered McDonald their mentor. Rightly so. I mean, he is the grandfather of modern fantasy, where we could call Lewis and, and Tolkien the fathers of modern fantasy. Audio allows you to explore more. 
it's almost like a free pass forward. And you had mentioned Dracula. You know, the Dracula that we published is part of a children's series. It's called Classic Starts, and they are rewritten classics done for children's age 8 to 10. You know, you're sure you're going to get your parents who, oh, my kids read the real classics at that age. Like, well, guess what? They really don't. No matter what you say, they don't. I'm not sure I'd have uh, kids read the original uh, Dracula uh, just because it's uh, more than 100 years old. Of course. But I mean, I'm talking any classic. Yes. Even Little Women, an eight-year-old is not going to absorb Little Women in its entirety for all of its depth. Whereas with this Classic Start series, it does. That's a beautiful series that we have that introduces people to books. And then hopefully later, they'll be able to explore bigger We've just recently recorded The Hunchback of Notre Dame and The Man Who Laughs, both by Victor Hugo, as part of our Oasis Classics line. Uh, We have this amazing narrator named Simon Vance, who's just incredible. These are 20-hour audiobooks. So, you know, they would be horrifyingly long to read if you have 20 minutes at a time to read it, whereas 20 minutes in a car each way to work, you know, you're doing 40 minutes a day, and you can get through it. It it might take a while. Um, I found that when I was doing my classics, I would bring them in and listen to them while I was, you know, working in my workshop in the basement on the weekend or something, and would get through books very fast when I really was motivated to. Well, that's why you're the perfect guest for Fantastical Truth, uh, Steve, because the same reason that people are listening to a lot of audiobooks is why they're also listening to a lot of podcasts. You can get a lot of information absorbed and build, I think, a more personal connection in some ways by listening to a podcast or to an audiobook. If you've got a great narrator uh, who loves the story, who understands the story, who can read it with nuance and passion and you know, put a little acting into it sometimes, and then, of course, some audiobook narrators will even do character voices or you know, kind of the impression of character voices, uh, then I think that you can absorb the story even better. Uh, that's been my experience, uh, even when back in this last summer, uh, July, in the Lorehaven Guild, our uh, Discord server invitation only, subscribe at lorehaven.com. We were doing a book quest through George McDonald's Fantasties. So to participate, I'd never read it. I go to Audible and I look for Fantasties. And then lo and behold, oh, this publisher looks familiar. It was the Oasis version of Fantasties that is the first result. In fact, it may actually be the only result uh, as your narrator there reading through that. Uh, afterwards, I went through, these are not Oasis titles, but I went through back-to-back uh, Brave New World that you've already mentioned, as well as 1984. I thought, well, you know, let's just do a little dystopian double feature and see what the differences are, and then maybe do a podcast on it later. Uh, I enjoyed, if you can say that, both books, but I'll tell you, the ending of uh, 1984 uh, had me just depressed and grumpy the rest of the day, because, you know, spoiler alert, Big Brother kind of wins. Uh, by the end yeah, there, it's and the it's dystopian. really, really infuriating. Yeah, that's dystopian. I mean, I don't know what I expected. You know, the dystopian always wins at the, <laughs> at the end of a, of a dystopian. <laughs> but then afterwards, we're doing uh, presently in September 2022, a book quest through Tolkien's The Hobbit. And for that, I had to go. I mean, there's many audiobook versions of that, but I had to go to the recent one narrated by Andy Serkis, who, of course, does the Gollum voice. And I don't think there was a dry microphone in the studio that day. But he also does impressions of all the other characters, Gandalf, Thorin, Bilbo, uh, even Thranduil, the Elf King. And he does a pretty good job. He's singing everything. I mean, he's just a one-man band. And you've got these different approaches to audiobooks that just enhance the experience, almost as if you were in the room 
know, and you have a family member or a parent reading the book to you. And I just love hearing the passion in the narrator. Uh, even uh, y'all's narrator, I forget her name, but I want to hear more about her and your other audiobook narrators uh, who reads the book uh, Fantasties. And apparently he's been reading and adapting a lot of your other titles. I'm curious, Steve, how you will find this talent. I mean, I know there's a lot of uh, the acting community in uh, Chicago. Uh, how do you all get a hold of folks who not only want to read and perform these stories, but understand them? Okay, great questions. First of all, we use primarily Screen Actors Guild acting talent, people who are in film and television. And so we have, I, I hesitate to use the term stable because I don't use a single horse to narrate, but we have a very large stable of talent. Our, our producer, Lisa, in the office, Lisa Smith, she finds talent all the time. You had brought up Fantasties, and that is narrated by Rebecca K. Reynolds, who's a very big part of our company now because Rebecca was an author, a Tyndale slash Navpress author, whose book Courage Dearheart, which you may know if you're an Aslan uh, fan, course, as a the, line uh, that Aslan encourages Voyage. Lucy yeah. with from Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Her nonfiction book, Courage Dearheart, uh, we brought Rebecca up to narrate her book because we do like to use um, authors for nonfiction uh, because they usually have the passion to share their story. And she did. But while she was in our studio narrating, my engineer emailed me and said, could you please come in the studio and listen to this lady who hasn't made a mistake yet? Uh, so I came in and listened. And I was immediately captivated by her voice. Ironically, that was the year I was listening to my classics. Uh, we like to take our authors to dinner. And that night we were all piling in my car. And when I turned my car on, Wuthering Heights was playing. She said, are you listening to Wuthering Heights? And I said, yes, I am. She said, what do you think of that? And I said, well, can I be honest or, or what? And she said, no, be honest. I said, it's the worst book I've ever listened to in my life. Horrible characters. Not a single one of them deserves to live. And she said, she said, oh, well, then the other Bronte just, sister. Yeah. She said, then you just wait till you read Jane Eyre. And so Rebecca and I developed this rapport right away. And Rebecca's an educator. She was a, a teacher in a classical school. She held Iliad Con at her classical high school every year while the students were reading the Iliad. They had a little convention. They would all dress up, do cosplay. And um, I just found her teaching style fascinating, all based on Dorothy Sayers' classical school model. And so we started talking more and more. And Rebecca came to me and said, you know, I've had this vision for years of doing a modern English translation of Spencer's The Fairy Queen. Do you think there'd be any chance Oasis would want to publish that? So I just started looking into it more and more, and I talked to the owners, and I said, I would like to try publishing a book here. Let's pause one more time for our third sponsor for this episode, the science fiction novel Lost Bits by Carrie Neitz, famously the author of Amish Vampires in Space, but now moving from vampires to robots, another favorite subject. Here's the back cover. The last thing K404 remembers is a happy home with the human child L whose care is his primary purpose. So when he wakes up in a landfill of tossed away technology, his only thought is to reunite with his family. This world is not his own, though. 
It is a wasteland of desolate buildings, flying metal discs, and monstrosities that keep themselves active by stealing another bot's power. How did the world get this way, and why was he discarded? Hampered by imperfect memory, an obsolete body, and limited battery life, 404 sets out to find his home. Joined by other castaways, he faces off against scavengers and monsters, only to encounter greater threats. Pursued, outsmarted, and manipulated on every side, 404 teeters on the brink of annihilation. His only chance of survival? Those bits of himself, the connections, he hasn't lost. That's the back cover. You can read that in lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors, or go to our show notes for episode 130 for the link to get the hardcover paperback or audiobook, speaking of audiobooks, at amazon.com for Lost Bits by Carrie Neitz. I started my career at David C. Cook. I, I worked on books. Oasis was the first time I'd ever worked in audiobooks. So I'm familiar with the book market. We contracted with Rebecca through her agent for her to do a modern English, we're calling it a rendering of Spencer's The Fairy Queen, which I can't wait till you invite us back for a Fairy Queen podcast next spring. Because Spencer was writing this for Queen Elizabeth I. Honestly, it's three allegorical tales, but this is where St. George and the Dragon came from. The Fairy Queen is this epic tale. Um, The first part is man's relationship with God. The second is man's relationship with himself. The third part is man's relationship with other men. And it is this amazing Christian allegory. It's Lewis's favorite book, but they even stopped teaching it in England around 1910 because the English was so archaic. And yet there's a quote by by Lewis that said, this book should be read by every child between the ages of 12 and 16, preferably, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing this quote, preferably on a rainy day in front of a, a warm hearth. And, and, and he loved the Fairy Queen. Tolkien revered it as, as epic fantasy. But Rebecca brought that to us. And at the same time, Rebecca's school was in transition. And I said, you know, if you quit teaching, I could give you more narration work. And at the time we had contracted for the classic starts. So I hired Rebecca to narrate all 56 classic starts. And so she became more of a full-time narrator, and she's got more under her belt than a lot of professional narrators. And she came to me and said, I would love to narrate Lilith, and then I would love to narrate Fantasties. And so what we have with her, and I'm so glad that your group uh, tackled Fantasties with her audio. She just finished recording at the back of the North Wind. Oh, wow. And I cannot wait for you to hear it. Because in the middle of it, the back of the North Wind, there's about a, oh, several page run-on sentence. And Rebecca just rehearsed over and over. So she delivers it as poetry. I cannot wait for everyone to hear this. I love hearing the, the love, not only um, by you, but also for the folks who are you know, narrating these stories. And I'm just I'm very interested. Uh, I've always been interested in recording, you know, audio drama, audiobooks, that kind of thing. And in 2005, there was a C.S. Lewis themed conference at Wheaton College 
uh, up there in Chicago. And my siblings and I drove up uh, to go to that uh, conference. There's a lot of great C.S. Lewis luminaries there. And there was a lot of buzz, of course, about the language and wardrobe because the movie was coming out uh, that December. But uh, we walked from campus to a recording studio that actually turned out was only a few blocks away called Gap Digital. They were doing a lot of audio dramas for the Left Behind series back then. And uh, I've also recognized at least one of y'all's narrators, uh, Amy Lilly, because she was in the Left Behind series playing a very pivotal character who, spoiler alert, uh, ends up getting roasted by Fire from Heaven by the False Prophet, which is a great heroic way to go. Uh, But she gave this amazing death scream. Uh, And yet she's also the narrator of Maxine Justice, Galactic Attorney, uh, which we also cited with Steve Lobby in our last episode. So it's just it's great to see, you know, some or rather hear some familiar voices. And that also, you know, one of these days I like to see how that's put together. But in the meantime, I can tempt myself with behind the scenes bits. Like, for example, a lot of the Enclave titles have a lot of made up names. Uh, If it's not the author reading the book, I'm just curious just a little bit about the process, how you all handle you know, these fantasy names that have particular pronunciations and, you know, fantasy and sci-fi in particular have maybe similar rules to reading a book in archaic English where you have to practice and you have to have a pronunciation guide. Like real quick, how does that work? We do ask for pronunciation guides by authors. There have been uh, times where we've had someone narrate and it just doesn't work. And in in fact, we had that just this last spring when we re-recorded uh, Jillian Bronte Adams, uh, one of her books, uh, because the narrator who we had hired just couldn't deliver right. And so Jillian actually came up and narrated it herself. She'd had some experience narrating, but I don't think anyone else could have done it with all of her names. She well, had that was there. a fire and ash, right? Which a is also a ash, rather yes. mega book. And now of course yes. has been uh, declared book of the year at the realm awards. Right. We require almost always uh, some sort of a, a, a narrator's guide uh, where the author will pronounce um, pronounce words for us. I, I don't think anything can match the, uh, there's this town in Wales that came up uh, recently in some news I was following. It's, uh, I don't know, it's something like 30 syllables long. Lillen, Ver, Pool, Gwyn, Gil, Go, Ger, It's just like this, it just goes on and on and on and on. It can't, you can't even fit it in like one uh, you know, screenshot. And right. so I think, well, like I guess there is some real world basis for uh, some, yes. <laughs> well, and there's some lake in the, on the East coast that um, is like a tourist uh, resort lake that has a name like that, uh, that it's so essential to get it right. There's a, a, it's not a Christian book, but it's called the devil in the white city. And it's a book about the uh, Columbian exposition in Chicago in 1893. And a serial killer, H.H. H. Holmes, who, and this is uh, nonfiction, but the book was written as, I mean, it reads like fiction, but the audiobook narrator, and this is a Random House title, I believe, big, big publisher, the narrator mispronounces a major suburb of Chicago oh, repeatedly dear. throughout the book. Um, he keeps referring to it, Will Meet, Illinois, and it's Will Met, Illinois. It's, and, and, and I'm baffled that they haven't gone in and patched that. Um, and so we have to be perfectionists, and we never can be completely perfect in anything we do. But, you know, we look at audiobooks as a hybrid of publishing and entertainment. And so we've got to be as, as accurate as possible. So from there, as we move towards our 
end for now. Let's go to chapter three. What is the future of audiobooks and what's next for Oasis Family Media? Steve, uh, we've been talking about the pronunciation and some of the recording process for these books. Uh, Steve Lobby in our last episode mentioned that there will be uh, new print titles and thus more audiobook titles uh, coming out next year and in years beyond for Enclave. That has affected the process, of course. They need a little bit more lead time in order to record the audio version of every Enclave title. Uh, from your perspective, what are your hopes for specifically Enclave uh, books and audiobooks going forward? Steve and I are just about the same age. I think he's one year older than me. And so I, I've got my sights sort of set on retiring down the road. But I'm in no way ready to even think of anything but building Oasis into something bigger. The owners allowed me to rebrand us as Oasis Family Media because I wanted to get into print publishing. Frankly, I want to get into film. The Hallmark Channel is ripe. I want to be the first publisher of speculative fiction to get a regular movie series on the Hallmark Channel or one of the other Christian uh, channels that are uh, doing movies because I don't want to show like The Good Witch um, that was on the Hallmark Channel to be the thing that dominates. I want real, beautiful fantasy or really great science fiction on there. I see us moving into more video content down the road, um, whether it's producing our own or acquiring titles. I want to focus on print publishing. Oasis is always there as our backbone. We'll always have audiobooks. But I want to help build Enclave into something amazing. Just like I want to help Scott Miner and the people at, at Realm Makers to turn that into, you know, it's not going to become Comic-Con. It's not going to become San Diego Comic-Con. But man, it sure has the ability in the future to attract not just authors, but fans. Because I want to build a fan base. I want us to know who our fans are and to provide for them. At American Library Association's convention this year, I had countless librarians say, we love what you're doing because we can safely put your content into our libraries. Um, and these are community public libraries who still have restrictions. They said, more YA, give us more YA. And so I told Steve, it's like, man, could we get to a point where we have a YA title every month as well as other Enclave titles? Um, I want to build Enclave into, I don't want to use empire as a word because it just sounds so like power mongery. Well, it has but, negative connotations for a Star Wars fan as well. <laughs> yes, it does. Oh, there we go. There we go. That it, was the it, tattoo, it truly... folks. You can't see this because it's a podcast, but uh, <laughs> he, he's, he has a, hope, hope y'all are okay with that. But he has a Star Wars tattoo there. So not the Empire. Yes, this do. is the Resistance or this, or not the Rebellion it's, necessarily. It's the Jedi. It's yeah, the Jedi. Yeah, exactly. It's the, it's the Jedi. Yes. Ancient um, order of good, wholesome, virtuous warrior monks. And um, I, I, I would love to see us uh, do as much great content as we can from a Christian perspective, but also if it's not from a directly Christian perspective, a great entertainment just from a family safe point of view. Yeah, that's the wholesomeness. That's the common grace you mentioned. Uh, we, we have no plans of buying Disney. You know, we have no plans of buying Disney anytime soon. So I'm not going to be able to take over the Star Wars uh, brand. Oh, that's too bad. But, um, yeah, I know. 
in the meantime, if y'all can't do a takeover of a giant behemoth corporation like that, uh, y'all can start your own imprint. So you've acquired Enclave. You've still got the audiobooks going, the, the classic series, all of that. Uh, what do you want to say then about Sky Turtle and how that relates to uh, the Edmund Spencer Fairy Queen uh, rendition that you mentioned? Well, with Sky Turtle Press, um, and this is why I was very excited when you brought up the narrator of Fantasties, because I can lead this in. Rebecca is, I've hired her as our editorial director because she's finishing up the Fairy Queen and Sky Turtle Press is her imprint. You know, we're, we're using uh, Justin Gerard as the illustrator of the Fairy Queen. Um, Justin's an amazing illustrator. And I had seen a piece of art by him years ago of a girl riding a sea turtle, but it's in, in the sky. And um, I'm a, a, a kaiju fan, giant monsters. Um, so there's a little bit of Gamera uh, in the name uh, when we named Sky Turtle. What I see Sky Turtle Press doing is becoming a, a publisher of just beautiful books. They won't be the same as Enclave titles. But, you know, there were some brilliant illustrators 100 years ago, 150 years ago, Arthur Rackham, um, Edmund Dulac people like that who illustrated some amazing books like, you know, Anderson's fairy tales. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if you see something by Balm or about Balm coming out from Sky Turtle Press, but I'm going to leave that one up to Rebecca because once she's finished doing the final edits on Fairy Queen, she's going to jump fully into Sky Turtle Press. So I think 2023 is going to be our big year for Sky Turtle Press. We're going to actually launch the Fairy Queen as a Kickstarter campaign because I'm sorry if in the secular sci-fi market, Brandon Sanderson can make $41 million on Kickstarter with four books he wrote during the pandemic. Certainly, we can get a jump start with the Fairy Queen. Fairy Queen will also be available everywhere else in different versions, in trade versions. Um, it's a very um, academic slash consumer-friendly project. Rebecca has done exhaustive footnotes. Um, so from an academic standpoint, I can see universities tackling this, making this part of their required reading again. But without those footnotes, a high school student is going to have a blast with this. And to meet characters who clearly inspired Eowyn or Galadriel, um, you know, heroic women characters um, it, it, that were written in 1590. It's going to be exciting. This is going to be a new discovery for fantasy readers everywhere. I'm excited to see what Sky Turtle does. I have high hopes for our company. Believe we have been guided by the Lord the whole time. Um, I've tried very hard to make smart decisions with our content and not do anything ever that would go against what I believe is, is the nature of Christ. I don't want to stand before God when, when it's my time to go and have him say, you know, I really wish you hadn't done this one book. It just, it's eaten at me, Steve. You know, <laughs> you have to go to the back of the line of the welcome buffet. I want us to be awesome. And I want us to inspire readers' senses of wonder. And that's why 
I've tried to inspire the enclave authors to explore their own sense of wonder. Steve, I really appreciate your sense of wonder when you're sharing about these stories, and you've already more than hinted at the potential need for a fairy queen featuring podcast episode in the future. I definitely see that as a possible future, so we may need to talk with you and or Rebecca about that. Even though her name is not Steve, uh, we may be able to uh, graft her on as uh, just a little expansion uh, to the Steve Saga franchise here. But I'm looking forward to hearing about that. I'm looking forward to hearing more of y'all's audiobooks. Definitely looking forward to more of the Enclave titles, print and listenable. Uh, It's just going to be exciting to watch you all go forward. And by the way, a little eschatological hope here. I have no doubt that whether or not there is a sea in the new heavens and new earth, spoiler alert, I think there is. I think the promise that there won't be was a promise that there won't be the separation and death associated with the sea. But whether or not we have an actual body of water, we can be sure, I think, that there will be some kind of oasis there. And if nothing else, I'm pretty sure that we will have a sea of great books. And I hope to see many oasis titles represented uh, in the libraries of the new heavens and new earth physical real libraries full of wisdom uh, that we can learn from that we can share with each other Uh, and it's thanks to god's grace in christ that we get to share those stories with one another even in today's corrupt groaning earth really appreciate what you all are doing and i have great hopes uh, for the future for oasis family media and beyond guys thank you for having me thank you for allowing me to be narrative I loved talking to you guys today and thank you for doing what you're doing. Well, thanks for joining us, Steve. And if we don't get to meet up at a Realm Makers uh, conference sometime, hopefully we'll get to uh, swim together, you know, in the, in the new earth and hopefully, hopefully it has uh, oceans, like you said. So that'd, that'd be great. Uh, you, you have a great week and uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you guys. Take care. Stephen, I love the synergy between this episode and two episodes ago when we had Steve Raza on talking about libraries and sort of the acquisition process for getting new titles. I love that Steve Smith is is taking uh, you know, the Oasis and Enclave books directly to the American Library Association, who many of them have and many librarians have told him uh, we can safely put your books on the shelves. And that's really great to hear because behind the scenes, I I didn't really know how this works. Like I know that anyone can request a title. So I'm like, okay, is this only happening at a grassroots level when people are aware of these books or is it happening kind of from the other direction? Like we, we heard about, and that's great that it's being very well received in libraries across the U S because, you know, if, if you follow certain, you know, news websites, you think, oh, the libraries all hate us and they don't want anything to do with Christians. And so it's great to even hear, Hey, they would love a YA book from a Christian author every single month if uh, if that could happen. So uh, bravo to all the Steves so far involved in the Steve saga. Let's go to the comm station now to hear from some of our listeners. In the Realm Sphere, the exclusive website for Realm Makers members, Scott Miner, who's uh, in charge there, had this to say about our previous episode, 129 with Steve Lobby. Scott said, quote, this interview with Steve Lobby is a must read for any Christian author writing fantasy or science fiction. It is essential that you understand how the industry has evolved over the last 20 years since Bethany House published Kathy Tyre's novel Firebird, the first science fiction story published in the Christian publishing industry. Thank you, Steve and Stephen, for sharing the story here. End quote. Uh, I'm trying so hard to keep all the Steve straight here. It's it's kind of hilarious. Yeah, there's, there's been a few outtakes for this episode, <laughs> yes. 
And then, I mean, that's kind of on purpose, right? But even there, it, it's also funny to hear that it, this is a must-read episode to listen to. It's, you know, we're kind of confusing the whole audio and, and written stories. Um, yes, it is really, it was great to hear that whole process and how publishing has evolved in many different ways since then. And of course, now we have indie books that didn't really, the indie industry didn't really exist 20 years ago. And so quite a bit has changed in but then again, things are going back to how they always were with audiobooks because we've always told stories orally throughout the ages. And I appreciated Steve Smith's uh, explanation that according to authorities who ought to know, listening to an audiobook is effectively the same as reading it. So uh, when Scott mentions the interview is a must read, well, you are reading <laughs> with your ears as well as your eyes uh, if you're just listening to an audiobook as opposed to reading it on the page. So appreciate that encouragement from Scott there. By the way, I can't go further, Zach, with all the confusion with all these Steves. I mentioned at the top of the show that we may have a surprise appearance by a certain fourth Steve walking around the fiery furnace, apparently, with all these other Steves. Uh, actually, to draw the comparison, uh, it's more like Peter 1, Peter 2, and Peter 3 in Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, we have Steve 1, Steve 2, and Steve 3, and a surprise Steve 4th, which is me, uh, hiding in plain sight. Uh, I accidentally got promoted. I've never really gone by Steve. I have to mention uh, just somehow just never really caught on for myself or for others, uh, except Steve Lobby, who, you know, being a maverick sort, uh, called me Steve a few times in the last episode. So I think that means I've been officially promoted. Uh, Hopefully I can join the ranks of the many Steves uh, doing their best to share amazing Christian fantastical stories, not just among Christians, but into the wider market of public libraries and uh, all these other venues. Uh, We had another comment about that episode, uh, quite a few comments about 129 with Steve Lobby from at Smith Pete Smith on Twitter uh, for episode 129. Uh, He said, this is super encouraging to hear from a publisher of Christian fiction. And I agree with him, of course. Uh, We had another comment on Twitter for that episode from at Rob underscore Kickhawk, who said, gonna listen. This is always a good conversation. Amen to that there, Rob. And I also appreciate the uh, few comments that I saw from people who apparently had never even heard of Enclave or had only heard it in passing. And they just appreciated uh, hearing Steve's heart behind the theology, the coherent worldview behind these stories. And I saw one or two comments saying, okay, this makes me want to go out and get some Enclave books. Well, there you go. Uh, That was the point of this exercise. Uh, We want to talk about the theology behind stories and creativity and the purpose of Christian imagination and all that sort of thing. But we don't just want to sit in an ivory tower and talk about it. Uh, Spoiler alert, we do want you to go out and buy some books uh, because they need the money so they can make more books. You know, this is an investment. Uh, This is practicing stewardship as Christ encouraged, putting these talents to work uh, in the market, not just putting them in the ground. So you hear about a great audiobook in this episode or you hear about a great book from Enclave or any of the other authors we feature, go out and get it. Uh, This isn't uh, just support for ministry's sake. Uh, This is just putting your money where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, Pay for these books, listen to them, enjoy them. That is definitely uh, one of the main purposes for why Lorehaven does what we do. What did you think of the Steve saga, Uh, not including the fourth surprise Steve hidden in plain sight? Let us know. Email podcast at lorehaven.com. Find one of our posts on the social media. Just look for Lorehaven. You can tag us or reply to our shares on Instagram. And, you know, in the future, I'd love to get some more varieties on the Steve saga. Maybe we could get a bunch of people named Stevie or Stefan or Stephanie. Uh, I'd love to just spiral outward and get all the Steve variations possible. So uh, 
maybe send us a suggestion for some uh, variation of Steve you'd like to hear in the future. You can always go the Marvel route and uh, start firing and or killing off the original Steve characters and then bringing in uh, the uh, the female superhero equivalents of them <laughs> in order to replace them on the lower budget streaming side. Uh, anyway, no shade meant there. Uh, meanwhile, at Lorehaven, I mentioned earlier, following us on the socials. Yeah, do that. Uh, do follow us. Uh, just look for Lorehaven on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook. Uh, we're increasingly active on Instagram. We've got more images going up there, including quotes from some of our many Steves from across the multiverse. Meanwhile, in the Lorehaven Guild that I mentioned earlier, we are now halfway through our adventure in The Hobbit, the classic fantasy from J.R.R. Tolkien. It is free to subscribe to Lorehaven, and then we send you the invitation to that exclusive Discord server, the Lorehaven Guild. We're actually planning our upcoming book quests uh, going into October and beyond, faithful listener. I'll give you a little spoiler alert. For October, we are eyeing a certain castle in Transylvania to explore. It's gotten even bigger this year thanks to the Dracula Daily newsletter. Lots more fans uh, coming into this universe made by Bram Stoker. And I have no doubt it's going to be a very interesting read as we plunge into this dark forest uh, in the Lorehaven Guild for October. Uh, this week at lorehaven.com, you can actually read Josiah DeGraff's next article in his Discerning Christian Fiction series. Really good stuff, really practical yet biblical. It's going to be called something, but only something like How to Discern Honest Christian Fiction Without Reveling in Darkness. Really great stuff and also applicable as we move into a season that's often associated with darkness. Meanwhile, in case you noticed, uh, we've taken an incidental hiatus from new reviews uh, on Friday. We usually publish a new review every week for a new Christian-made fantasy or sci-fi novel, but they will be back soon. We're working on it. You can look forward to those reviews going forward. Next on Fantastical Truth, what if humans who survived an apocalypse were forced to flee into the sky to escape a deadly mist? And what if one skydiver working aboard an airship was hired to find the impossible, a way to eradicate the mist for good. Of course, it helps little that the mist is now rising and threatening to turn human survivors into steampunk zombies. That is the world of Morgan Bussey's Skyworld series that starts with the book Secrets in the Mist and finishes with the more recently released novel Blood Secrets. And in our next episode, Morgan herself will make her fantastical truth debut to share those secrets of her stories. Meanwhile, regardless of how you prefer to read stories, whether it's digital book or physical book or audiobook, either way, know that you are reading. You are participating in a grand human tradition, sharing man-made culture from across these different media, hopefully for the glory of God with discernment as you're enjoying these stories, fantastical and otherwise. Make sure that you're doing this for his glory and for your good as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth. 